All right. Thanks again for listening to the uh, Minnesota Basketball Coaching Podcast. Uh, this week, uh, we or, th- or this episode, we have three guests. We have Stanley Clay from Crystal Ray Jesuit, uh, Damian Johnson, uh, New Benilde St. Margaret's head coach, and Xander Culver from Roseville. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Man, doing good. well, doing well. How about yourself? Doing great. I'm well. I really appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, the first 22 episodes, we've talked a lot of X's and O's, uh, but with everything that's went on in Minneapolis here in the last few weeks, uh, with George Floyd dying at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer, and um, the protests is speaking out against uh, the mistreatment of police officers towards the African-American community. I thought it'd be really important for uh, our, the listeners um, near and far to just kind of get a little bit more understanding of the dynamic uh, and ways that coaches can have these conversations with their team to advance and keep the conversation going. There's been a lot of good content out there. I know, Damien, you've had some stuff uh, already get out, you know, with the Star Tribune. I know you got some stuff that we'll talk about here at the end about what your vision is for urban and rural schools. I just wanted to bring you guys in, um, you know, so just kind of we can go right around the horn. We can start with Damien. Uh, just, you know, George Floyd dies, the video's out. Kind of what was your initial reaction? Uh, I was just heartbroken, man, because the thing is, I've I've been to that same store before. Um, one of my close friends used to live over south, so it just was heartbreaking just to see that, you know, that's the same situation could have easily been somebody else, myself in particular, and it's just just seeing it. And, you know, I mean, over the last few years, I had my kind of run-ins where I had, you know, getting pulled over and just every time you see them blue and red lights, it kind of – your heart just drops. So just seeing that live, you know, it's kind of getting to see that video over and over at so many different angles, it kind of – it just touched me mentally. It kind of, you know, made, it, it just helped you realize – you don't any no any day it could be your last day and nothing's promised. So it kind of it just it just kind of messed me up mentally for a while. Yes, Stanley, what about you? You know, I was um, obviously sad, um, but it, it made me angry um, to continue to see it televised. And you know, being a young black male in in the city of Minneapolis, from the city of Minneapolis, my high school is in that community. Um, it could have been me, it could have been any of our kids. And it's just, you know, when it's repeatedly showed on TV across America, you kind of feel a sense of hopelessness. Um, Cause you see it every day and you just don't see a result to where you feel like there's justice served. Well, you Xander. Yeah, I just want to piggyback off what they said. So the the way it impacted me, I was I was first heartbroken, and then angry, you know, to 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 literally see a man's life snatched from him, just take just taken from him, and it it really hit home for me because I it happened two blocks from where I live. So me me and my fiance we walked that you know we we walked that street weekly that could have that could have been me you know that that could have been somebody that I know and it it it, it, it I broke down I was uh I was sad and I just was I, I couldn't believe it that it's 2020 and this kind of stuff is still going on and then I immediately thought about my kids too and trying to figure out okay I'm I'm a 29 year old male black male how are how are these 15 through 18 year olds processing this so I immediately went into, you know, how can I help them and be there for them? 
However, you know, anyone, you guys feel free to jump in. However, it doesn't have to be, you know, you guys can go back and forth as much as you want on this. Um, how have you addressed this with your teams and what are some of the conversations that you've had with them? And um, what, are, what have kind of been their feelings? And like you mentioned as 15, 18, 15, 18 year olds, what are they feeling about this? And then how have you talked with them and helped them get through this or process through this? The, uh, the first thing I did, I called each, each of my, each of my kids of color, I called them all and just let them know, hey, say, hey, I love you. I care about you. You know, you, you're a valued person outside of basketball. You're a valued individual. You know, and I, I just let them know that first because I feel like that's part of the, you know, that's part of the emotions. It's like you get killed out on, you can get killed out on the streets just, just because of the color of your skin and make you feel like you, you're less than human. And so I just wanted them to feel that, like, hey, you are loved, you are cared about, you are valued. And then with some of them, I asked them, you know, how are you processing, how are you feeling? And some of them, of course, you know, they, they were able to, to talk and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm angry, I'm upset. But some of them really didn't know how to, you know, how to feel about it. It was, it was almost just like, you know, I'm, I wonder if they couldn't see themselves in, you know, George Floyd. But... It, it was a wide range of emotions from the kids. You know, we uh we got a group chat, so we were in there and kind of piggybacking what Xander said, just letting them know that they're cared and they're loved, but most importantly, to to be fed up with what you see and what's going on and how are you going to use your voice to change uh, the next generation. I think that was the big thing we talked about with my group was your feelings are natural to be angry and frustrated and hurt. You know, we've got kids of, you know, Hispanic and black kids and white kids. And, you know, I text them all the same thing because their, their voice is powerful, um, you know, and, and to not be accustomed to seeing what we've, we've seen, you know, at our age. So that was really just a big thing. You're loved, you're valued. But what are you going to do with your voice to make a change for this situation in a proactive, productive way, I should say? Yeah, and, and my situation was a little different because I think the data incident happened or, and when everything kind of kind of broke out as far as the protesting got a little more more uh, rambunctious is the day that I found out I, I was officially the Benil's coach. So I sent a group message to my guys, you know, and I just wanted to check in on them because I knew the next day I was going to tell them, you know, before when I was going to talk to him about just me leaving, but it kind of, I was going to actually tell him the same day, but I, it was just so much going on that I kind of had to push it back. And we had a group right. chat started and we had, you know, we got kids so, from multiple races on our team. And, and, you know, one of the, you know, one of the white kids said something about the, the looting, the, the, some of the looting things that was going on in the group chat. And I kind of had to, you know, I was playing kind of peacemaking the situation but he was saying what he was saying was right at the time, and I don't think none of the kids were able to hear it. So I was able to call a player that was the most upset about it. We kind of had to just talk about, you know, kind of what it hit the kids' perspective, so you can hear, so you can understand it. And he got a better understanding from it. And I talked to both kids, and it was just, you know, they were able to kind of. I think it, it it got better after after when it all was said and done. But it was just. You know, the, everybody started. They had some looting issues in the sun in the Sunray area of uh, St. Paul. So 
like a lot of the kids, I was the, the main message was, for me was make sure you're being careful out there. I don't mind you going to protest or anything, but just make sure you're not going to do anything else where you can put yourself in a bad situation. And mm-hmm. and that's what I was more reaching out to them about because then some of them were joking, like they were going to get some shoes and stuff, but I was letting them know in all seriousness and stuff, you know, all seriousness, like don't go around that way. And they all were saying, yeah, they were just messing around, but it was kind of just making sure they don't do anything that could cause them any harm and being able to use their voice and articulate what they wanted to say, whether or not being a, or you know, where they could have people going to listen to them and, and they're not just being angry. Cause it's, the thing about it is the incident just made, made a lot of kids just angry in general, just cause you see it. And a lot of them already feeling that, you know, this generation right here has a lot of built up anger and just, anything is almost like they're ticking time bomb just because they had to watch so much over the years and their parents got so much that they're passing down to them from all the hardships we just faced just from the 90s era where the crack or right at post crack cocaine era where a lot of families was affected by that. It just got so much, so many things in the black community that's kind of tough for kids to, you know, to try to cope with. And now we're at a point where they, they're not standing for it anymore. They, they're more outspoken and they want to speak up on a lot of these issues. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're seeing layers, you know, from what our parents seen um, to what we seen, you know, and, you know, like I told Damien and stuff, you know, my dad's from Mississippi. My dad was charged with bringing a white woman across state lines. And that white woman is actually who he married my mother today. Um, so it's kind of crazy. So you, you see the, the, the layers of it. You know, my, my dad was accustomed to it. We were, we were aggravated by it. And then you see this next generation and they're just like, we're not taking it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you? That was actually. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that was, that was actually really uh, inspiring to see. And motivating that it's a lot of you know if you're looking at the riots or for me i've been to a lot of the peaceful protests it's a lot of young people out there and that's how the that's how the change is ultimately you know going to be made with you know with with people of, of different cultures coming together and it, and it starts with them and that was just awesome to see like these young these young kids out here not not standing for this at all standing next to their brothers and standing next to their sisters and even see it in other countries, like seeing Australia protests and seeing mm-hmm. seeing them protest in England and just seeing them just, I've never would have guessed you'll see protests for Black Lives Matter in Germany. It's just hearing, right. just seeing and hearing all of it, it's just, it's crazy to see and it's inspiring at the same time because now you feel, I don't know, this is probably one of the first time in my life, in my lifetime where I feel like that change is, is coming and is, is moving closer just because you see so many people that want to see that change. And, you know, like when Obama became president, that kind of gave, I don't know about you guys, but it gave me hope because oh, yeah. like, my mom, my whole life would say, you could be anything you want to be, but I never really <laughs> believed it at all. Right. Like, I never would have guessed a black person would be able to be a president. Just seeing that in general just gave me that hope that, you know, everything she's saying may be coming into fruition one day. And you just got to keep believing and keep pushing that fight. And just, and now, you know, these last few years is, is I, I, you just see more people, they got more caring situations going on. <laughs> more people not afraid to say something that, I don't, it's just more incidents where you're seeing people saying stuff that you probably wouldn't see before, just because a lot of stuff in the media now is kind of provoking 
people to be more outspoken on the opposite end of the spectrum as far as racism, where the, you know, where the guys feel free to speak to you just because they think they're above you. Whereas mm -hmm. I didn't even see that in us growing up in the South. It wasn't that bad. And now it's just anybody, no one's scared to speak now. And it's just going to say stuff in the incident that could go in a whole completely wrong direction. And I, I, I hopefully we could kind of get that stuff a little bit more under control because these Karen situations just doesn't make sense. No, I, I think the world is extremely toxic. And, you know, being able to go see the protest, 38th in Chicago, it was peaceful. Um, you know, and I went right when it happened. It almost didn't feel like somebody had died there. Mm -hmm. um, and going on Lake Street, um, it was a different environment. It was young kids. It was black kids, brown kids, white kids. It was old people. It was babies. And they were just fed up. Um, you know, and that's the thing where I see, you know, what Damien's saying about the change. We're, we're seeing a glimpse of it. And it's actually like, wow, we matter across the world instead of just mattering right. inside of our communities. Yeah, I want to, and then also kind of in the, in the same same breath, you know, when they, I'm starting to see they're tearing down some of these statues of, of former slave owners, you know, changing the names of some of these schools that are buildings that are named after former slave owners. It's just all, you know, it's a lot of little things. You start talking about systematic racism. It's a lot of little things like that, that, you know, that's that's good to see. It makes me feel valued. Like, okay, they finally, they finally, at least hearing, you know, you can understand why I, I, that it would make me upset to go into a building named after a slave owner. So it's been nice around the world to see that, you know, people are trying to make that change, getting rid of those statues, changing those names. Absolutely. And then yeah, Damien, you, uh, sorry, my bad. No, you're so going, you're, going kind of, kind of a sidebar, but you was talking about uh, when Obama became president, that was 08. I went to college in 09. I majored in political science immediately. And I, I didn't have much interest in politics prior to that. It was, oh, Obama president? Yep. Political science. Sign me up. You know, so just, you know, seeing Obama that. Obama was a motivation. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what are some, you mentioned systematic racism, Xander. What are some ways that you experience uh, systematic racism, maybe not on a daily basis, uh, just but in general in your in your daily lives. In my daily life, systematic racism. You know, besides times in the past where I get you know pulled over for for no reason. Um, you know, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it back to college in terms of you know education. In order to get into the program that I wanted to get into, it was strictly based off of you know, uh, your test scores and things like that. It had nothing to do with, you know, who you are as a person or who you, who you were as a learner. And studies, studies will show you that our educational system is biased and geared for the white male. So you're, you're measuring me based off a standard that was built for somebody else and now telling me that I can't get into this program because I didn't meet this standard. So that's, you know, that's just, that's one way, you know, where you could be held back. I use the, I use the same story every time, you know, working at a school today. Um, I remember having to watch Roots growing up in school. Um, and that was powerful in the sense of it was, it was feeding a stereotype. And then we had to stick around in a school around kids who just watched us 
for 10 hours, be slaves and be made of jokes. Um, and it trickles down into the education system. We're dumb, we're stupid, we're slow, we're this and that. But it's a stereotype that they have put in the education system for so long. I've never read about black history in, in school mm. books. You know, I went to Holy Angels. My African-American studies teacher was white. Um, those are things that looking back on it, it, it should have been a red flag, but it wasn't. And I, I just look at it, um, you know, and and I don't think I don't think a lot of people just understand kind of the residual effects of just everything. I mean, we look at it, and you know, you, you got a group of people that were kind of in a and that's been you know slaves, or then they had laws against us ranging from four hundred years. But at the same time, we think you know there won't be PTSD in that community, or you trying to come out of those situations where you're trying to overcome so much, but you still got your parents that's kind of still got that residual effect that they got passed down from their parents and then the parents before that. So it's, it's like, it's, it's a long-term process that we're trying to get out of. But I think at the same time, people don't see that sometimes that as far as like, my name is Damian Johnson. I don't think you, I mean, that's not really, I, you wouldn't, you could, I could be, you know, you won't be able to really, tell my race from from just looking at my name but at the same time my kids have names where I know eventually when they get older that they might not get interviews because their names and that's something my wife was concerned about we got a baby dude next month and that was something she was concerned about even with naming our next child like I don't I don't want them to get blocked out of opportunities just from their name and on their resume alone and that's stuff that I don't think a lot of people have to think about because it's I mean I feel like sometimes, and I've seen it, I've worked in corporate America and I don't work around. I mean, I was working, I worked for almost around two, three years in corporate and I could count on my hands how many just black co-workers I had in my departments each of those times. And I had, we had up to 20, 30 people in those departments every time, you know, and we, and I'll be maybe one and maybe one under for the most part. And it's never been, I mean, just looking at it, it's kind of, it can get frustrating at times. It's kind of why I love being in the, love getting into the school system just because I was able to be around kids, you know, African-American kids. And I, then I just seen the positive effects that I was starting to have in their lives. And it's just, I think more kids need to see more positive influence, positive role models that look like them. And I don't think we got enough of those around. Even saying why, you know, I think we need to have more people trying to promote being teachers and educators and inside of colleges and not even just to normal students. I'm looking, talking more to gear towards athletes. That's something I've kind of wanted to, one of my goals eventually have talks to have talks with athletes about if you don't go pro, maybe check into getting into the educational system because I think just with our personalities and being part of teams for so long, I think we just got that, we have that positive energy that a lot of kids could feed off they'll be just that just needed in the education system. Just I just think a lot of a lot of things that's has as is currently going right now, I think we kinda just fell in some certain groups completely just because we don't have another enough resources in some communities. And like I today I posted about, you know, we need more more mental health professionals inside schools. That's definitely schools that got a large black population just because you've seen so much and a lot of these kids have times where everybody everybody's not from a traditional two-family household. 
And sometimes you even, when you're living in a single family household, your mom, your mom has to work her butt off just to be able to provide. You might not have that, that foundation. So at the same time, you got issues that's going on. You might not even have the opportunity to even talk to your parent as much as you would like. And I think having more mental health professionals just to be able to deal with some of those, some of those emotional issues going on would be very beneficial. And that's why St. Paul schools teachers went on strike. And I don't think a lot of people was really hearing them, but that's something that's big. I think I'll see it at North St. Paul. Like a lot of those kids got emotional things, got things they went through that they still trying to overcome. And there's not enough people there to have their back and help them help guide them through those, through those issues. Damien, I want to say something about that real quick. So you talked about, you know, the, the kids of color and, one one parent home, two parent home. So when I was, I won't say when, but I, I heard, well, I'll just say it. So I was talking to an administrator and mm -hmm. we were talking about different, uh, we are talking about kids and I was trying to take a group of kids of color uh, to do something. And kind of kind of like a field trip for being a part of this after school program. And mm -hmm. as we were talking about one of the kids, the the gentleman said, oh, you know, he, He's not really, you know, he's black, but he's not really black. <laughs> and he was, you know, he, he had, he, he comes from a good home. And so that's just, that's just something I want to clear up. You know, I come from a, a good two, two parent home background. That don't make me any less black than anybody else. That don't make any of the kids that we're working with that may come from a more stable home. It don't make them less black. So we still got to show up for, for those kids as well. Who are who are going through these uh, different experiences as young black males? And, and I agree with you on that one too. Just because I can't, I'm I'm like you. I came from I came from a two two parent home, and I think a lot of people looked at me different just because I had two parents in the house. Even within our own community, you know, they kind of mm -hmm. some people had a little bit of envy just from seeing that. And I think right. because a lot of those, I think people that you know look at it and they feel like okay, he has two parents now, he's not as, you know, they don't look at you the same way as a single a kid who has, you know, just living in the office with a single parent and usually sometimes their father's not in their lives. I think those kids get more attention just because they feel like a better side story to help out. And they don't, they don't look at the kids with two parents. With, man, my parents, my dad had to work his butt off and I, you know, he had to go two weeks at a time working offshore where I couldn't even see them at all. So my, if it wasn't for us finally getting a camcorder, my dad was going to miss all my games growing up because he had to work. And I think they don't even understand, even as a two-family household, sometimes you're not – it's just sometimes you're still working. we still grinding from, from yeah. the bottom trying to just survive. So I think a lot of people just don't look at, you know, single family or two families. A lot of people are living it from check to check. And it, it takes a while. I don't think people understand – how much of a struggle that could be and how much how much of how much it affects kids growing up seeing your parents struggling no matter if mm -hmm. you're living in a single family or a two family household i think it's uh i think it's a natural feeling though um you get boxed in when you have two parents and you grow up in a inner city where your friends only have one or you got a nice house or your christmas looks different um that's a natural feeling, I think. I think the stereotype is where we go wrong, and that's how we continue the systematic race part amongst ourselves. Um, you're not black enough if you didn't struggle. That's the most absurd thing because we're all parents and we're all trying to 
make sure our parents have better, you know, our kids have better lives than we did. Um, mm-hmm. so we put ourselves in that box and say, well, you're not, you know, you're not black enough because you didn't struggle or you didn't go to jail or you didn't do this or you didn't have to do this. Um, and we feed right into it. And, you know, that's something that, you know, with our kids at Crystal Ray, we work really hard on. Your environment doesn't define who you are. Your surroundings don't define who you are. Your actions is what defines you, um, you know. So that's something we really focus on over there is just don't let people put you in a box because you're living over north, or, you know, you've got one parent or you're, you know, you're taking care of your brothers and sisters all day and night, you know. We just try to not compare lives. Mm-hmm. What what sort of bias do you guys see in high school sports? I'll, I'll oh. say a bias not even in the high school level. And it's something that's kind of been annoying me for a while since I've been in Minnesota. And it's something that I don't think enough people touch on is, is in, the, in Myers, the NYS. As far as teams in the – they got a thing called renegade teams, which just that in itself to me. I feel like it, it gives off racial, you know, it, I just don't think, I think it's racially insensitive because it's always, they focus on the teams from the inner city that's usually predominantly black because they still, I've never heard the Minneapolis Lakers call a renegade team and they're not affiliated to a high, with a high school. Yet I hear when I see MLK play or the Spartans or Family First, all these different teams across the across the inner um all these different you know inner city teams that most of their high school can't afford to run a travel program so those kids are stuck you know trying to figure out ways to play and they might not be afforded those same opportunities and they got guys putting together a team even though people consider them all-star teams or whatever but i think it's a lot of it it becomes jealousy but those kids i mean if those kids if those high schools could have all have a travel program then I don't know if you could – what would you say then? But I think just this, since they don't have those same – you know, we we almost lost our travel program in North St. Paul when I took over. Like, we had to rebuild that whole thing. And we had to do a lot of offering scholarships and everything because a lot of kids can't afford that. And we had to do a lot of fundraising. We had to get real creative to help do – we started creating payment plans just to help kids be able to afford it. And then we – now we went from three – We when I got there, it was – down to like three teams to finally, I think we had nine, eight or nine last year. We still, you know, there's still an opportunity to grow there. And I just hated to hear that renegade program because a lot of, I used to let a lot of those kids in our basketball camps from family first and stuff like that. And those kids aren't bad kids or anything. And they hit, and a lot of the issues they have with parent incidents in my eyes is, man, you got parents calling kids renegades the whole game and you don't think their own parents going to get frustrated and get it in, is, you, of course, something's gonna happen. It's kind of, I just don't, I don't like the idea of the Mayas having something they label as a renegade program, and it's usually teams, all black teams from the inner city that they give that label to. Well, I think what it does is renegade becomes a a new term for the word. You know what I'm thinking? Um, and renegade teams are never labeled in the suburbs, you know, and and that's been proven in all my traveling coaching days. Um, coaching in high school you got three black coaches on this podcast and that's probably four or five percent of the black coaches in the state of Minnesota um so for me that's a big problem we want to we want to teach kids they can be anything we want but we can't be high school coaches we can't be athletic directors um so we're good enough to train your kids we're good enough to 
bridge the gap to be that assistant because you've got some black kids on the team and you want to, you know, be able to be in the in crowd. So you're going to hire a black coach. But, you know, looking at these three head coaches, I've never met Xander a day in my life. If this doesn't happen, I haven't, you know, I don't get to meet him. So like us coming together, that's showing the problem of we don't have enough black coaches in the state. And I'm not saying every school should have a black coach, but we shouldn't only be able to coach city schools. And and Xander, gonna, I know Xander could speak on it, and that's why I, 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 something that's kind of you know like like Stan, Stanley said, um, it gets kind of frustrating because I feel like sometimes kids, coaches could we sometimes coaches get pigeonholed, and I don't think people could see you know, I feel like I could coach anybody if it's black, white, uh, black, white, Asian, it don't matter where they're from. I could coach them. I feel like I could connect with kids. I just connect with people, and I, I think I do a good job of doing that. And I think being able to coach at EP and and before I went to North St. Paul, that was a. I mean, if you look at it, those kids are night and day from each other. And I just I, I don't understand how to, a lot of coaches get stuck in that label where you, if when your school's getting a emerging black population, then it's cool to hire a coach, but when it was just majority suburb kids, that same coach wasn't going to get that opportunity. I think we got to start looking at just different ways to help coaches develop and to kind of get coaches connected with the right people because I just think – I don't know. I just don't understand how we did, out of 400 and whatever amount of schools in the state of Minnesota, there's only like 25 black coaches. And they got so many good black coaches that I've seen around. And sometimes it may be a requirement here and there. And that's another thing. I mean, I don't understand what you need a college degree to even be a basketball coach for. Like, guys, it's, everybody's not going to be – I mean, I see if it was to be a, a work inside the school system in itself and be a teacher or something like that. But coaching, I don't understand what's the point of getting that, needing a college degree just to be a coach on top of it because they got some good coaches who kind of get stuck as assistants forever just because they didn't have the opportunity to be to get a college degree but they work well with kids I think they could be great leaders and then end up getting stuck coaching AAU teams where they work well with kids also so I, I just think some of the stuff to me I know it's I don't know I just don't feel like I feel like we could find other avenues to help get more black coaches involved and we could get more black coaches head of coaching opportunity absolutely I don't consider myself a a a, a a black coach I'm a basketball coach who happens to be a black male and I think that's something that you know I see so many guys on guys I know and they get really bad jobs because they want to coach so bad and it's like you get stuck in a job you you get a bad record for three years and then nobody wants to hire you and now you're forced to be an assistant again somewhere and then you're that that bridge the gap guy that I was talking about um, and we see it all the time you know we see guys get multiple opportunities multiple opportunities you know, not to say they don't deserve them, but most of the time it's based on who they know or what program they're affiliated with. And I, I think it's harder for us to get our foot in the door and then keep our foot in the door. Um, you know, just uh, observations I've seen. <laughs> now, I want to just kind of respond to what Damien said. So he, when he told me that there were, I think, what'd you say, 25 or 26 out of 400 some odd coaches, you know, 20, 25 or 26 coaches of color, out of 400 and some coaches, I was I was blown away. I mean, I I knew that the I knew that the percentage was small, but I didn't realize it was that small. 
And that's, a, you know, to me, that's a, that's a problem. Because also, kind of like what Stanley said, how can we preach to a kid that they could do whatever they want to do, but they're not seeing people like them, you know, in these positions? You know, that's, that's huge and that's important for a kid to, to see that then they could then they could believe that and, and and think that they could achieve that but if you don't ever see something if you don't ever see you know a, a black coach or if you don't ever see a, a black person that's in a, in a position of power it, it turns into like ah oh, that that ain't for us you know we don't we don't do that feel free to answer this as um <clears throat> cautiously however you want to because i don't know who from the from the high school leagues and be tuning in do you feel at times you are um maybe treated differently by by officials absolutely <laughs> um and i'll just be blunt honest i think it's um the the referee leagues associations they're ran by you know older people who may not understand kids and um their emotions and their swagger and you know uh so we call kids arrogant. We call coaches, you know, loud and rude because they're passionate. Um, sometimes for us, you know, at least me speaking, the kids I coach, like if I sit on the bench and I'm quiet and I don't say anything and I'm not engaged and I'm not intense, they're going to notice that about me. Um, and I think that's something where refs sometimes feel like we're the angry black man um, because we're passionate, because we're, you know, we're we're up and we're in a defensive stance and we're asking a question and you know I've seen you know white coaches get answers to questions and I've been told to sit down and then eventually it becomes a power struggle and I think um you know there's not enough black referees um but the black referees that you know they're out there it's a struggle to get them for your game because the bigger schools are going to get them so for me being the smallest school on this platform you know we we usually get the 55 to 60 year old white man who's refing our game and he's most likely out of shape, no offense, um, you know, and, and he has a disconnect with the city. So when you have a city conference game and it's packed and the crowd is intense and you've got neighborhood versus neighborhood, it's an environment that a true basketball player is going to love, but is this referee going to feel threatened? Um, is he going to be, you know, scared to make the right call? And then you have the black ref who sometimes he doesn't want to make the right call for you because he doesn't want to seem like he's doing a favor for you when he's just doing his job. And I'm going to kind of go like I agree with you on a lot of it. I think just sometimes um, I think sometimes we kind of get sometimes it's kind of looked at as loud. Sometimes when coaches stand up and are into it instead of looked at as passion for certain coaches. And I feel like, I mean, if you look at it, and I'm Coach Klein from Creek, Coach Klingsborn, like, they're loud, and they're talking nonstop during the games. And I don't think we're viewed the same way. And I've been part of games with those coaches where they're loud and talking to the refs. And when I say – I've rarely talked to the refs, but when I say something, it's more of a big deal. And I'm going to just be honest. I'm not trying to just call anyone out. I'm just saying it's just to me – I used to get – it kind of used to irk me because I just didn't think that was fair. I've had coaches, the refs, tell me to sit down for stuff. when I'm, And you could talk to any ref that knows me. I don't talk to refs much. When I do, I just feel like I just want to know what's going on. And I'm just asking questions. And I feel like sometimes when I've seen those coaches get louder with refs and not have the same – not treated – and I'm not treated the same when I do the same thing. That's just something 
I just, I'm not, a, I'll have me, that's something that kind of irked me, started annoying me as the season built on, definitely last year, just because, man, I, my kids, I mean, they're, my kids going to be rough differently because we play defense differently. We're going to be a little bit more aggressive and kind of in your face, but sometimes I think we get a lot more ticky-tack calls when they have sometimes when we go into the rim aggressive and we don't get those same calls. And I, I don't know if it's just curl or style of play, but I just think a lot of people are out of touch. Even when my kids, when kids celebrate, they kind of certain celebrations irk them because, you know, some guys, but you just, I don't think everybody's understanding everybody's, you know, it's different cultures. And I, I, as far as, as long as I've been around, I mean, our culture, as far as African-Americans in general, we we get loud. We like we like to have a good time, you know what I mean? So when the kids enjoying themselves, I don't think we they should be dinged for that. It's just them loving that's them having passion for the game, enjoying the game. I know as a player, if I get a if I make a layup and I still say this as a coach, if I make a layup and I get fired, I'm gonna say I am one loud. That's just something I like to do. That's something that's just fun. It makes the game it just fun. Comes it comes with everybody it. energy going. So like that's something I think I know a lot of people aren't a fan of it. They think it's kind of showing people up. I just think it's more people just having fun playing the game. And I think people kind of look at it different when some certain schools do it. But it's just it's just fun because I know I used to do the same thing when I was coaching at EP and the refs didn't say anything to me then. But when I do it, you know, at North St. Paul, it's a bigger deal. I guess maybe I was an assistant doing it. That's why. But it's still someone that's on a coaching style screaming and one when somebody make a layoff and get fouled. It shouldn't. It should be the same way. It should be treated the same way everywhere. Um, <clears throat> so what advice would you have for, uh, you know, any high school coach, you know, cause I think it's really important as coaches and educators, regardless if you're in a teacher or not, uh, that we need to have these conversations with our teams as many teams can reconvene now uh, starting here on Monday. Other teams might have to wait until after the fourth, but in the next few weeks, most high school teams are going to be back in the gym in one way or another. And so what are some, what's some advice you would give to coaches to um, have these conversations? And it can be the coach from the inner city, the coach from the suburb or the coach in rural Minnesota. I would say, and this is what I, you know, thankfully I've been around a lot of great coaches and this is what I've seen. And, and this would be my advice too. you know, got to start looking at these kids as, as, as kids and not as, not as just basketball players. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to get the interview answer right now, but, you know, basketball is really a tool that we should be using to bring these, to bring these kids together and allow them to, to build relationships and to care for each other genuinely. And that starts with us as, as a coach. If we treat kids differently and, and only treat them like they basketball players instead of a whole human, that's how that's how the kids are gonna treat each other. So that that would be my thing. Treat them like kids. Build relationships with them. View them as as your kids. Create opportunities for them to to come together and be together. The only time your team is together shouldn't just be on the basketball court. You gotta you gotta start fostering these relationships and having difficult conversations with them. All three of us on here said we we talk to the kids on our team and say, hey, you know, this is a difficult time and, and, and spoke some words of encouragement. We can't be afraid to, to have those conversations. Sometimes stuff like this happens and we, okay, we're in COVID, we're not really seeing the kids. We just gonna kind of move past it. We ain't, we're not gonna talk about it come June 15th. All right, we just back to normal. You know, you can't do that. Get uncomfortable and, and have that conversation with your kids. 
you know, I think I've always heard coaches say, I, I know my guys, I know my players, you know, you always hear coaches say that. And I, the advice I would say is understand your players, um, understand the dynamics that they deal with day to day, um, understand the demographics and the economic situations they deal with day to day. And don't, don't just cater to the black kids, cater to your whole team, because in a sense, you need all of them to have each other's back and be there for each other. And too often we see coaches scared to really go the extra mile when, you know, 5.30 ends, their phone, email is done. There is no contact. We have to be, especially coaching kids of color, you have to be a 24-hour coach because their life and their problems are 24 hours a day. And that's not to say it's always going to be bad. Sometimes you're the person they want to call with that positive news. But are you looking at them as a basketball player or are you looking at them as a person? They're going to want to tell you what's going on in their family, the positive news. But are you only interested about their crossover or their jump shot? Um, you know, you hear coaches say, I want, I want guys communicating on defense. Are you creating a platform to communicate in life with your team? And if it's just basketball, at some moment, you're going to have to go through some adversity that you're not going to be able to handle as the coach. And then your kids are going to look lost because they're looking at you for the guidance. Yeah, and I just think coaches just continue to just be upfront and honest. And even if you, you know, a lot of coaches probably don't even feel comfortable, especially, you know, I would say as a white coach, I probably wouldn't even feel comfortable trying to talk about race because a lot of coaches feel like they're going to say the wrong thing. But at the same time, don't don't be afraid to say the wrong thing. Just kind of talk about it. Like, if the only way we're going to make change, if you kind of have a conversation way, if you might be ignorant to something, that's the easiest way to learn is say it and someone that correct you. A lot of people, I think a lot of people just afraid of offending people so much that they kind of have some ignorant, you know, biases or stereotypes in their own mind where, I mean, if you ask questions, ask around, I mean, a lot of those guys could find someone to ask that they could probably get some help from. Just ask those questions so you can kind of have a, get a better understanding. That way you could be able to talk to your teams and kind of, kind of help your teams get a better get your team a better understanding especially if you're dealing with kids that's never had that exposure to kids kids from um you know other races or even just been exposed to just different different cultures around within the state of minnesota they got it's just so different each spot you go at if you, i live in brooklyn park if i leave here and go to maple groves that's the whole big difference and that's less than five miles apart like it's just a big difference everywhere you go at around Minnesota. Even if you live on the south side, once you start moving your way to Edina, that's a whole different thing. You know, uh, through rolling through uptown, they got so many differences in, in where you could be at that you got to start talking to the kids. So you you know, and I know it's hard to have these some of these conversations because I mean a lot of people get tired of race because everybody's scared to have those conversations. Will make it tired. You know, a lot of people getting tired of hearing hearing about race and I think that's the part where we got to get moved past we won't grow as a society if we continue to just say we're tired of hearing about it and we don't never move forward and just have that simple conversation because I feel like before everybody started joining together after this George Floyd thing there weren't many discussions about different racial issues that's been going on now and it usually takes something to cause you know the last time they had a, I can't even remember the last one before George Floyd to be honest but that's the only the time we start hearing. And once we see something happen, just a, a weird incident, that's police brutality. That's when we kind of start hearing stuff. And I'm glad this one at least made people start trying to make action happen. I think this one was 
finally the thing that put us over the top. And I think people got to have feel comfortable just having that conversation about race, having that conversation about differences, even putting some of their bias in their own mind on the table where they could kind of start growing as a person themselves and keeping it hidden to yourself because you're scared what people are going to judge you about. It's, going, it's not going to help you grow as a person. No, absolutely. And, you know, me having a black child, you know, it's like, you know, whether I'm coaching when he's in high school or not, but to see the coaches, you know, that are white coaches wanting to be informed and get a better understanding, like it gives me hope for my child and his generation of going, you know what, whether I'm coaching them or, you know, Brett, you're coaching them. It's like, it's people who are going to try to understand him and, and be there for him instead of using him as a tool to get a win. Mm. Because the reality is these kids aren't going to the NBA you know, it's tough enough for kids to get to college. So the moment we create for these four years that we have them in high school, we're creating such a big foundation for their future. So if we want to challenge kids to be put in uncomfortable situations to be resilient, we have to be put in uncomfortable positions to show our resilience. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a big difference between being understanding and being soft on your kids too. Like we. You still got a hold, just you know, just because, you know, this tragedy just happened. That don't mean that, you know, we or any coach starts treating their players differently and, and gets soft. Like you still got to hold your players accountable because even though you know we we see some change happening, that change is still not here. And so, you know, we still need to hold our kids very accountable so they know that hey, this situation is very bad. Okay, and it's very hard in America for for a black male. That's the reality. So I need to hold you accountable because as soon as you leave this gym and as soon as you graduate high school, you're going to be held even more accountable. So you, we got to continue to to be tough on them, love on them, understand them, build relationships, but hold them accountable in, at the, in the same breath. How do we move forward? Shoot, I think you know, this, having, having conversations like this, um, and then just, just finding, as I said earlier, just finding ways for us all to connect. Like, this game is beautiful. How can we connect all of our teams? How can we foster and build, and build these relationships and really start caring about each other? That, that's, that's what I would say. You know, find a way. How can we find a way to, to build relationships and get teams together? I think you you continue the dialogue um, and and we remember that it's just a game and the life part is bigger and we we find ways to unite that, you know, and with me at Crystal Ray, we're a different type of school. Our our population is 85% Latino and 14% black. So we see so many different cultural aspects and we're just trying to unite them through a game. That's it. You know, and, and when the buzzer sounds, did we do enough to where when they walk out and they leave their high school and they see a black person, are they going to feel safe? You know, when they see a Hispanic person, are they going to feel safe? That's my job at the end of the day is just to unite people using this game, to to educate people to not have a stereotype. And, you know, every white person you see isn't bad. Every black person you see isn't bad. And it's just just more education. Because the reality is, is there's a there's an age gap that you're not going to be able to educate. But that next generation, 
they're all ears. They want the change. And us as coaches, we have to facilitate a platform to where we get kids to unite. Yeah, and I think uh, just like you said, moving forward, trying to get just get kids connected, man. And I know, you know, there's – I know a lot of times if you look at some of the kids that play AAU, I think they feel a lot more comfortable just being around – um, you know, black black kids, black people in general, just because they spend so much time getting a chance to know they got kids that come from so many different places. That once they get a chance to to know each other, I think they feel a lot of more a lot more comfortable, and they end up building some of those long lasting relationships. Even in college, I think I think we kind of doing our kids a disservice not getting them around each other more. Because even if a lot of those kids go to college. You know, we got a kid that's a possible D1 player. He's going to have to be able to interact with black teammates. He's going to have to learn how to be able to be in environments with people with different from different cultures, different races. So I think that's – being in college kind of helped me helped me really grow as a person just because our team was so diverse. We got – I got a chance to experience different stuff, different things. I mean, um, we had a – I had a teammate, Zach Puckta. I went to his synagogue before – I never even I knew I had no clue about anything in the Jewish culture and just being able to go experience that was an eye opener for, for me. And just being able to just be around Jamal Bushamal, he was a he was half Palestinian and he was just telling me some of the stories from from his dad, stuff like that. It just helped me learn more about other cultures that I was was ignorant to, to be honest. And I think a lot of people kinda get stuck where they're not around different people, so they're not able to hear different stories. And it, is, it just become a, a lot of the things that's going on is just ignorant people, just people, people, you know, not understanding, people not trying to try, people just real closed minded. And I think we just, if you could be able to, if we could be able to continue to have open mind and just try to learn more about each other and be able to build relationships with different people, grow your network, be able to connect with different people. I think it'll help out a lot, especially with this young generation. Because I feel like this young generation is a little bit more open-minded and more willing to want to learn more about each other. And real quick, I think we just got to keep teaching kids to be able to disagree without being angry. Um, you see yeah. so much anger in the world today. It's like, I don't have to, you know, agree with what you like. You don't have to agree with what I, what I like. But can we, can we have dialogue and not be angry and not be hateful, um, you know, and that's just the sig the stigma I want to break from all of this going forward is like let's leave the 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 hate and the anger amongst each other out of the window. Hey, because it's just so it's so repetitive and the next generation and the next generation will continue to go through that. So that that to me is a big thing, teaching them to be able to have disagreements without being angry about it. I think that's a big thing, too, because and it goes along with what's going on in society to me with the cancel culture. Like we got to people got to the thing is, we're going to get a lot of fake people around just for one to cancel everything right away. I think sometimes even if it's something that's ignorant or something, I think it's, we should be using that more to, as a teaching lesson, a learning lesson, instead of just be so quick to cancel. Now everything's ruined and all it's going to do is continue to build hate and anger instead of people actually learning to try to improve on themselves. So I'm not the biggest fan of the cancel culture, even though some people that got canceled, I'm, I'm cool with it. Right. But I'm just not a fan of it. Just people getting canceled so quick without, you know, us trying to, us as a group trying to, you know, educate them and help them better themselves. And I know it's just everything becomes super fake. 
Well, you know, you asked the question earlier, Brett, what can white coaches do? Um, and I think with the cancel, cancel culture, you're going to have white coaches scared to ask questions and get to know their black kids because I don't want to say the wrong thing and get fired. You know, so that cancel culture does really backfire on dialogue because people are so scared to say the wrong thing or ask the wrong thing. And, you know, if you're scared to ask a question, you can't educate yourself. My dad always said there is no, no such thing as a dumb question, you know, and that is that's something I kind of live by. You might not like the question or I might not like the answer, but I have to be able to be comfortable enough to ask it if we're looking for change. That's a great point. Uh, you're right. Because we, in order to, you know, educate and move the conversation, I think, Damien, I think you were, you know, with Drew Brees last week, right? I think you were on there talking about, uh, on Twitter, talking about how, you know, he, he said what he said and he kind of ran it back and he obviously had talked to some of his teammates and he, he learned from it, right? The, people didn't immediately cancel Drew Brees. Um, he, he, you know, hopefully learned from it. It wasn't just he was trying to correct what he said just because he didn't want to face, face any, you know, any issues. But hopefully he did have those conversations with some of his guys and those teammates who were kind of getting to him on Twitter too. So um, it is important that, you know, we do take a step back, I think, and understand that we got to educate ourselves. We got to ask those questions. And I think you're right, Stanley. We have to be able to have those tough conversations with our kids, um, you know, regardless if they look like us or not, because we are educators first and coaches second. Uh, real yeah. quick, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah, and that Drew Brees stuff. I mean, even with it, I, I just couldn't believe like some of the stuff that we getting canceled with too is kind of. I feel like I mean he what he said was wrong, and I I didn't mm -hmm. agree with him. I just thought think he didn't have a he just said something without you know understanding everything that was that's going on, and you know it was it was a bad poor timing for that for him to even yeah. consider saying that. But at the same time, like, I just think that was something we were so quick to cancel, even though he's done so much work within the city of New Orleans, inside the city to help rebuild that city. And I just couldn't believe how quick people were to cancel him. Like, he, he's really he's really into helping kids no matter where they are as far as these help a lot of predominantly black schools. And he's not afraid to step on those campuses, hold camps, do different things. And I think people overlooked that and were quick to cancel him. And it was – that part was kind of upsetting to me just because I feel like he didn't say nothing that was so egregious that he needed to be canceled right away. I just think he had a poor time and then he just used a – he had a poor – he just chose a wrong time for what the current climate going on to just even consider talking about that form of protest. All right. Uh, any charities or organizations that you guys are close with or you want to plug – uh, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in Minneapolis. I know a lot of outstate schools are getting stuff organized now. Uh, anything you guys want to plug? Well, we are doing donations and we're taking donations at the Colin Powell Center. So anybody listening, we need all types of food, um, toiletries, any of that. You can bring it on down to the Colin Powell Center. Um, our school was vandalized during the protest. Um, we have not fixed our school yet we are trying to help the community so that is kind of our our main goal we will not start workouts this week as our gym is still filled with food donations and it's a lot of rebuilding on on lake street um in our area alone there was a business that burned to the ground right behind our school so most of the businesses between lake and chicago probably to lake and nicollet most of those employ the students that go to our school um 
you know, over north. Most of the kids from our school are over north as well, and they're taking donations. So we need as much as, you know, help as we can get because um, it's going to be a long rebuild over there. Um, yeah, and also I know Broadway Family Clinic over north, uh, uh, right way, right over there on Broadway and Emerson. I know they're doing a, they're doing a diaper, over the counter medicine, and and clothing drive. Also, they're just trying to get as many donations as possible. I know they were here, and I just and I I look at it. I don't have no charities per se. I know we got I got a lot of stuff that I'm working on with some people and stuff, but I just think they got places through the Midway area that's received they need donations on Lake Street and uh and over north. They just got so many places places that's hit that I think you could it's not it's not really that hard complicated or too hard to find somewhere if you just do a little bit of research to find somewhere to kinda uh get get some donations out there and to kinda help out. Yeah, and I'm in the I'm in the same boat. I don't have any particular organizations, but I know what I did. I just simply typed went to Google and looked up where, where can I volunteer? Where can I help? Uh, where can I donate? So I would, I would recommend if you don't know what to do or don't know where to go, get on the internet, you know, try to try to do something. I will drop one more. Uh, as we all know, Minnesota transitions is oh, no yeah. longer. Um, so basketball community, you know, for me, I, I got my start over there, not there working for them, but that was my first gym I ever coached, the first game as a varsity coach in. So, you know, that that is a that's a school that we need in the community. Um, there isn't really too many high schools in that area. So, basketball community, let's try to get MTS back rolling. Yep. And Good I, stuff. I do, I do. I gotta, I gotta plug one of my uh, friends who does have a does have an organization. It's called the Bay Laurel Fund. So if you Google Bay Laurel or go to baylaurelfund.com, that's B-A-Y-L-A-U-R-E-L, then fund, F-U-N-D.com. Awesome. And then, Damien, what do you, what's, what's your vision with what you have? Uh, I know you're going to reach out to some coaches, youth associations, whatnot. What, what is your vision here moving forward uh, with bridging communities? Uh, one thing, uh, and and. Stanley and I have been talking for talking about it for a while. We are actually planning on hosting a, a preseason jamboree at Concordia. Um, we we're going to invite teams. We got enough enough time where we can invite at least thirty plus teams. I know a lot of teams been reaching out interested. Uh, it's going to be a full day. You know, um, each team get a couple of a few games in. Uh, we're going to also get a chance for kids to tour the campus. Uh, we got, I talked to uh, Coach Fletcher at Concordia. We're going to work to try to get uh, some admissions people to give campus tours. Also, they're going to have some speakers. Uh, we're going to plan on having a, someone speak on financial literacy, uh, nutrition, the clearinghouse, um, just how to, uh, as far as, you know, the requirements and, and how to register for clearinghouse. And also, we the plan is, and I've talked to enough people that's uh, kind of with it. Uh, we plan on having a panel, also some some pretty. I'm not gonna name drop yet because it's a long time from now, <laughs> so any a lot could change. But it's some. Uh, we got a panel. You're muted, Damien. You're muted. I got you. Yeah, you're in. Oh yeah, we got some panel. We got a panel of some pretty good speakers that I think a lot of people would like to hear from. That's going to kind of be able to touch on some touch on some of the racial 
some of the social issues. They're going to touch on just some of the, some of their what their journey, kind of how their journey went. And I think it's going to be I think it'll be a great event if we could get as many teams there. And I'm going to send some you know fillers out. Uh, see how many teams we could get from our state, Minnesota, to join us, get some suburban teams, um, get some uh, teams from the inner city. Just We could make it a big mix where it's a four-day event where we all together. Um, I know but I know. I plan on pro- providing lunch for everyone. So we have a lunch, then we get a chance to uh, listen to the, to the guest panel. Then we're going to have a lot of other stuff to go to. So I think it could be a real good event, a good way for us to kind of start building those connections and um, – also, you know, get a chance to listen to some some higher profile people just talk, talk about, you know, their journey and some of the stuff they're facing, kind of have a conversation about being able to, to handle tough conversations. Awesome. Uh, anything else any of you want to add before we uh, sign off for the day? I think this is awesome. You know, you even setting this up, just just giving us a voice to be able to give you guys a voice, but also to give us some kind of understanding, um, you know, and, and, and bouncing ideas off of coaches, whether, you know, they're black or white. We all coach kids of different colors, but I just think learning each other helps us attack the gym harder and prepare our kids that much harder. You know, like Damien said, I'm super excited for this jamboree. I think it's going to be something that the city – is going to really embrace. I think it's going to be um, well-needed education for the kids. Um, you know, at Crystal Ray, we've always brought speakers in. Um, and before the George, George Floyd incident, we had already kind of started getting them lined up for next year. And, you know, next year we're focusing a lot more on the mental health part of growing up in inner cities, um, you know, and the things you see day to day, it wears on you. And we're just trying to control those outbursts. So we want to be able to put them in front of people that can, you know, explain their feelings and, and give them that coping mechanism. And also, I forgot to, uh, we also plan on doing a, during, during the uh, Jamboree, kind of doing a, since Concordia's location is right in the heart of, you know, right by mid, the Midway area that was hit pretty bad. And also, you know, having Crystal Ray be part of it and they're right off Lake Street, I think that's a great opportunity to do a fundraiser to continue to help those businesses try to recover from what's, from what's going on. So I think, you know, just having a chance to get people to just donate stuff, kind of get a chance to watch some great basketball and then just get a chance to, you know, help out as much as possible because it's not going to be a quick recovery from a lot of those places. A lot of those places kind of, you know, having to deal with so much damage and just being able to try to even rebuild what they, what they're going to do is going to be such, such a long process. I think anything we could do to help and kind of continue to help those guys, you know, find ways to, ways to reach back to normalcy because I mean, the Frogtown area is, Everybody's just so affected in the St. Paul area. I think this, I think having something like this just to be positive and just to show people care about care what's going on and get a chance to enjoy hoops where, you know, everybody could enjoy, enjoy being around each other. I think that, I think it's just something big that's needed. And I think it'd be great. Yeah. And I just, I also just want to thank you for, you know, bringing us all together and, and having this, uh, conversation. And then, you know, just a, just a reminder to all our coaches out there. I, I stole this from Brian Schneller from Wyzetta. You know, remember why we why we teach this game and coach this game. It's about building relationships, teaching lessons, and and helping these young kids foster and develop uh, relationships. So just always just keep that in mind.
Absolutely. All right. I appreciate it, guys. Uh, I know I wrote a lot of stuff down. I'm a pretty open-minded guy. I was at Augsburg uh, my sophomore year in 2000, November of 08, when Obama was elected. That was pretty powerful to be down in the city during that. And, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot just from listening to you guys talk here for the last hour. So I appreciate it. I'm really pumped this out on Twitter here to make sure people listen all the way through because a lot of good stuff. And I really appreciate you guys bringing the information and taking time out of your Sunday evening to sit down and talk about this stuff. So thanks, guys. Appreciate you, brother. Yes, sir.